Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good Sunday evening, everybody. Welcome to the Rockies Out Rewind. I am Eric Kane alongside Brent Hubbs. Appreciate you guys for being here and joining us every single Sunday night during football season, 8 to 9 o'clock on the VolQuest YouTube channel. We are live and here to answer your questions. We're brought to you by our friends Spivey King and Spivey LLP. Three partners, Matthew A. Spivey, J. Matt King, Richard A. Spivey. If you've got a problem, let them find a solution for you. That is TN Trial Lawyers. They specialize in criminal defense, family law, and personal injury, you can give them a call today at 423-245-4185 for a free consultation or go visit them online at spivykingandspivyllp.com. Big thanks to our friends, Spivey King and Spivey LLP, for bringing us coverage of the Rocky Top Rewind. Uh, Brent, Tennessee Falls in the swamp, on the road, 29-16 to to begin SEC play. Obviously, it was not a good night for Tennessee. Wasn't a good night offensively. Wasn't a good night defensively. Tennessee's 0-1. Uh, we'll come back at the drawing board, have UTSA this weekend, and then back to conference play with South Carolina the off week, and then the tough stretch of A&M and Alabama and Kentucky and so on and so forth. Um, not a good weekend for Tennessee and, and kind of one that left with a lot of questions leaving uh, the swamp. Yeah, no doubt. And um, questions that Tennessee's got to go to the practice field, had to go to the meeting rooms today. Coaches, staff has to get – uh, in their rooms and, and come up and, and look at what are the best solutions for this team to take the step forwards that they need to take, whether that's schematics, whether that's personnel. Obviously, they've got to improve on um, in, in the offensive line and, and how they play there. Um, defensively, in, in the first half, you know, I think they tried to play more zone than man. Uh, that's what it looked like in the rewatch. I don't think that fit them particularly well. Uh, they were much better in the second half in the, against the run because they got the safeties more involved and um, got the box a little more crowded. Um, you know, they've given up two explosives in the run game the last two weeks, so that's a concern um, that that you've got to address. I don't think it's it's panic and Armageddon. It's a disappointing loss in a big way, but you're three weeks into your season. You've got a lot of football left to play, and, and Eric, you've got to make a decision right now and, and – Joe Milton said this is probably the best comment he said after the game is, you know, you got to decide right now. You're going to come together and go to work. Or are you going to be, are you going to get separated because of the fact you didn't win the football game? And I think that's where leadership's got to come to play. And um, that that's where, where you got to go from there. And, and there's certainly work to be done uh, needs to be done in a lot of areas. And we'll see how this team grows. Josh Heupel's teams for the first two years that he's been here have gotten better throughout the year. Obviously, there's a lot of room for improvement for this football team after three football games played. Yeah, no doubt. A whole lot of improvements. And, um, you know, we'll just kind of start from the beginning. You know, we talked about it leading up and all of our different previews and podcasts. Uh, you know, you always want to win that midday. But we all thought that the, you know, w- winning the first, you know, couple minutes of the football game was critical. You want to win the first quarter, want to win that first drive. And Tennessee, you know, defers the second half. Florida gets the football, marches 14 plays, takes up seven minutes. 
and you make a third down stop, and then you know you miss a field goal if you're Florida. Maybe you got a hand on there and blocked it away. Uh, but you you get out of there, you don't give up any points, and that's huge for a defense. And then you take the ball offensively, you go down the field, you go 70 yards or whatever, and Joe Milton's four for four on that drive. Uh, threw a nice, nice ball swing pass that led Jalen Wright uh, to a first down. He threw one over the top, 40 yards, 41 yards, I believe, to Squirrel White, and then finished the drive with an 11-yard fade to uh, Ramel Keaton. Looked really good. It, it was about the best start you could have if you're a Tennessee Brent, but unfortunately that was that was as good as it got on the night. Well, and then, you know, credit, I think credit Florida for some adjustments that they made. Uh, if you go back and look at that first drive, they were pretty aggressive. Uh, their young defensive coordinator was going to heat Tennessee up, and Tennessee made him pay for the heat uh, and caught him in the blitz. I mean, there was they brought an extra guy on the Ramel Keaton touchdown. Um, Keaton was one-on-one to the outside. Great release by Ramel Keaton. Uh, to get free there, really good, really well-thrown ball. Um, it was a blitz that they got the switch route to squirrel wide on the deep ball. Joe Milton um, hung in there and, and you know, delivered a really good strike and a good ball there. So uh, Florida backed out of some of that heat and, and said, let's, let's see if we can get home with, um, with four. And they could, and they did effectively. They, they pressured the quarterback. They took off and – occupied the run lanes and stopped the run. And as a result, Eric, they played a lot more cover too. They didn't have to play safeties down in the box. They didn't have to go man coverage on the outside very often. And um, they did a good job. And and Tennessee had no answer for that offensively. Um, But the bigger, you know, I know 16 points. and Tennessee's not going to win many games scoring 16 points. They've got to score more points. So I get that. I, I think the bigger concern for me right now is where are you defensively? Uh, because I think there's a little bit of a blueprint on how to attack Tennessee defensively right now. And that's on the perimeter and that's across the middle and really stress the linebackers. We saw South Carolina do it a year ago extremely effectively. And, and I think Austin P did a little bit of that uh, last week and Florida did a lot of it this week. So I think that's an area where you've got to improve. Um, you've got to find some answers to that you know, quickly if you're Tim Banks, because I promise you South Carolina is going to come back to that. Um, Texas A&M, other schools that, that have played Tennessee are going to come back to really stress in the middle part of that defense and seeing how it can react. We got a bunch of your questions we're going to get into as the uh, the hour goes on. So keep sending them in here. I'm, I'm starring them. I've got them saved over here. So we're going to answer those questions. Do you want to uh, get Donovan real quick. Uh, thank you so much, Donovan, for the super chat here on the Rockets Out Rewind. Donovan says, for a coach that does not play scared, running the clock out with a hundred with a 140 uh, left at midfield was shocking. I still believe they win nine games, but a lot of work to do. Um, yeah, I've seen some comments, and certainly there were some head-scratching moments during the game with some certain play calling, uh, You know, not trying to be aggressive and going to score right before the half. Um, you know, you're backed up. you got those procedural penalties. We, we talk about that a lot. Kind of what was your overall thought on the aggressiveness in, in terms of the play calling and what Donovan's saying right here? It doesn't look like he, Josh Heupel in this offense was as aggressive in, in timely situations and trying to go for the touchdown as we have seen it in years past here on Tennessee. Well, I mean, I mean what's strange about that is Tennessee was doing on that last drive what they had done um, in, in the first two games that they had played. They had, they had gone two minutes, less than two minutes to score. And they had done it by running the football because teams were playing soft and they were they just hit runs and just kind of gashed them down the field running the football. So Tennessee comes out, they run for eight, they run for 12, they run for five. Uh, then they run again, basically the same play with Jalen Wright. They lose a yard 
And so it's third and six. And I, I can only assume that Josh Heupel was worried about punting it back there and maybe giving Florida a second chance or something. I don't know why you bled the clock that long. Um, and I don't know about the, the run and play on second five. I mean, you can look at what the success they had and felt like maybe Florida was gassed there and you're going to be able to move the ball, you know, running it and, and get at least in the field goal range or certainly have some opportunities, you know, to, to score a touchdown because you had time there. But um, after they lost that yard and it was third and six, man, they, they I mean, they killed 40 seconds on the play clock before they called timeout, you know, and, and then came back out. Um, and through the incomplete pass to Keaton there and ended up having to punt it back with Florida basically having no time. That was a, that was a, that was a strange, excuse me, a strange sequence of events on that second down call that didn't go anywhere. And then to, then to burn all that time on third down was really out of character. I, I think it shows, showed you that a, they didn't think they could protect very well, Eric and, and B, I, I don't think they had a ton of confidence going on offensively at that point in time. I don't, necessarily agree with the call because I think you always try to score there given the nature of who you are. Uh, but they certainly uh, switched that, you know, certainly backed that off there. If you look at the passing charts over pro football focus or in the game notes or whatever online, you can see that and I think you wrote about this maybe in your 10 things or the day after, you know, Florida went in uh, a specific plan. You know, Florida's not asking Graham Mertz to be uh, a superstar All-American quarterback. They're just asking him to do a little bit. And he's doing it well. And he did it well on Saturday night. Um, according to Pro Football Focus, did not throw a pass 20 yards down the field. Uh, he was 3 for 5 in passes 10-plus yards down the field. He was 8 for 9 on passes within 10 yards, and he was 8 of 10 on passes behind the line of scrimmage. They had a specific plan. It was to throw the short, the intermediates, make Tennessee's linebackers run, make Tennessee's safeties and the star player run, and I put those um, you know targets and receptions given up per Pro Football Focus for Tennessee's secondary uh, on the board earlier this morning. And, you know, they, they, they had a rough night, if you will. Um, it was kind of the same a little bit for, and I want to turn this back over to Tennessee. I've seen a lot of questions uh, since the game. Uh, play calling, is it not a whole lot of trust in the quarterback? Is it not a whole lot of trust in the offensive line? I think it's probably somewhere in the middle a little bit. Overall, the and you said a moment ago, the offense just got to get better. No ifs, ands, buts about it. But do you think the offensive play calling for Tennessee is being affected more by the quarterback play in Joe Milton or an offensive line that has some issues right now. And of course, no Cooper Mays. Well, I think last night it was a head scratcher. And I don't think, I don't think this, I mean, I'll be blunt here. I don't think they handled it very well when it didn't go uh, after that first drive, when it didn't go well. Um, I, I think that, you know, when they looked out there and they saw a light box, they felt like they could run the football, uh, increase some guys and, and get some big chunk plays out of it. And and they, they couldn't do that. Now I know they ran for a hundred yards, but th they didn't, they didn't get going and really get it in rhythm that way. Um, part of that was you had four pre-snap, five pre-snap penalties on the offense, everything from a snap infraction to jumping off sides, from tight ends to offensive linemen, puts you behind the sticks, holding penalty puts you behind the sticks. And so what happens there is you, you can't get going fast, right, Eric? I mean, mm -hmm. and this thing is all predicated by stressing the defensive linemen and, and gassing them out. And Tennessee was not able to do that. And Florida did a good job of staying on the field offensively to limit some of the snaps. And I think it's a little bit of everything right now. Um, I wrote this. I mean, Joe Milton was not the reason Tennessee lost the football game last night. He played better in, in week three than he did in week two. But at some point in time, you got to be able to make some plays off schedule. 
Yeah. You got to be able to make a play when it's not there. And for Joe, if that's scrambling more, he needs to scramble more. I think his movement in the pocket has been pretty solid. Uh, but but when things break down, I think there's got to be a realization, hey, five yards is better than a sack. Five yards is better than an incompletion there. Or, um, you know, you, you got to – you got to make a play when it breaks down. You got to go a little backyard ball, and Tennessee's not getting a whole lot of that right now. And they got it a lot with Hendon Hooker. And look, the comparisons of Joe Joe Milton to Hendon Hooker need to stop. They're not the same quarterback. No. They're they're not going to play the same style. They don't play the same way. Um, but Hendon Hooker was found ways to be effective when a play broke down. Joe Milton's going to have needs to be able to do that because I think that's important part of being successful at the quarterback position. Somebody pointed that out on the message board on the GQ earlier this morning, thought it was a terrific post. Nobody's saying you got to be Patrick Mahomes, right? But but you got to be able to make a play when it breaks down, and, and they're not getting enough of that right now. we got plenty more to get into. We're going to talk about the defensive effort. We're going to talk about the offensive line a little bit more. Um, some big, big thoughts from this football game. What's this mean moving forward for the University of Tennessee? Again, I'm, I'm, I'm saving your questions here, guys. Keep them coming in. We'll answer some questions when we come back. We're going to have Matt Ray. He was field level throughout the entire football game. Going to have him on at 830. Grant Ramey's going to join the party here at about uh, 845. And we're just going to talk about it. We're going to uh, I, I'm calling it going to church again here on a Sunday night. We're going to have these conversations and kind of work through it and see what happens. And uh, there's going to be more football to be played coming up Um uh, later this weekend uh, against UTSA. So that's coming up next here on the Rocky Top Rewind. I want to take a moment real quick to tell you about our friends Spivey King and Spivey LLP. Uh, they're the presenting sponsors of the Rocky Top Rewind. If you've got a problem, let them find a solution for you. And as team and trial lawyers that specialize in criminal defense, family law, and personal injury, some examples of that could be a DUI, homicide, assault, uh, divorce, custody, alimony, parental rights, personal injury such as car wrecks, uh, or accidents. Over 80 years of combined experience, Spivey King and Spivey LLP provides representation throughout the state and federal courts of Northeast Tennessee. The firm has got a vast amount of trial experience. Their practice has been in place for 43 years with this specific partnership since 2012. Also have partners who are energized for today's modern and legal demands. Primarily, they practice in Northeast Tennessee, the Tri-Cities of Sullivan County, Hawkins County, Washington County, and surrounding areas, but they do service for all of East Tennessee, whether you're injured in a car accident, need a divorce, help with custody for children, or have been accused of a crime, Spivey King and Spivey LLP is here to help. Uh, give them a call today for a free consultation. That phone number is 423-245-4185. One more time, that is 423-245-4185 for a free consultation at SpiveyKingAndSpiveyLLP.com as well. You got a problem? Let them find a solution for you. TN Trial Lawyer, that's Spivey King and Spivey LLP. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Hey, good Sunday evening. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind, VolQuest.com and VolQuest on the YouTube channel. If you guys are watching us, smash that like button, help us get to uh, 500 likes so we can get this uh, video in front of more and more Tennessee fans. We do it every single Sunday night, uh, 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern time here on the VolQuest YouTube channel. Okay, I've been starring some of your questions. Let's go ahead and get into them before we get to uh, Matt Ray here at 830. Uh, this is from Big Tennessee. Do you think we miss Alex Golish? And what do you think about the quarterback play or the DB playing in space, not squeezing on wide receiver once quarterback has been scrambling? There was a big time play on third down where Mertz, you know, rolled out and, and connected there in the first half. That was kind of a backbreaking third down conversion. Uh, but a lot of talk about Alex Golish because this offense again, you lost a lot of firepower, Brenton Hendon Hooker and uh Tillman and Hyatt and you know, a lot of and the Princeton fan, a lot of these others. But um, you also miss Alex Golish, who's now at USF. Well, I think first of all, you got to look at the personnel you're not playing. You're you're currently not playing with, right? We're talking about the offensive line struggles, and I, I got all everybody's message back in August, right? Stop talking about it. We know Darnell Wright's not here, and and Jerome Carvin's not here. You miss those guys. It it's not that they transferred on you and they left. I mean, their eligibility was up, but Tennessee's not been able to replace them. Um, with any kind of plug-and-play type situation there. They, they've taken a step back with those two guys. So those are two guys who, one's starting in the NFL, the other's on a practice squad. Jalen Hyde had two uh, catches today for the Giants. You miss him. Cedric Tillman, uh, you're missing. Uh, Princeton Fant did a lot of things, and obviously you miss Hendon Hooker. So part of it's personnel. Uh, I think Alex Golish is a really good football coach. I think he was a high, high-demand football coach to those guys. And I think most importantly right now that they probably miss his eyes up top more than anything else. Yeah. He worked in conjunction with Josh Heupel. I think I think Alex Golish called a lot of plays, but Josh Heupel was certainly very much in, in tow with what was going on. They talked about a lot of things uh, between series or, or, hey, Golish would say they're doing this, so let's get to this, or what do you think about getting to this based on what I'm seeing up here? I, I think I think Josh Heupel's missing those eyes. That's you know, he had he had Golish and Joey Halsley up there both. That's two sets of eyes, and now one of them is gone. Uh, so there's an adjustment period there. But, yeah, I mean, I do think they miss Alex Golish. I don't think he's the sole reason why the offense is, is not going at the, at the clip everybody wants. And, again, Eric got spoiled last year. It's the number yeah. one ranked offense in the country. It was never going to be that way this year. But it's got to be better than 16 points a game. No, it's got to be better, and that's kind of what uh, you know. Austin and I were talking about in the post game mini pod. I'm, you know, I'm sitting there and we're we're fresh off the you know the game, just like an hour out or whatever. And I'm saying, I, I get it, the frustrations, this loss, it was embarrassing. I get it. Uh, but I'm seeing all this Joe stuff, and I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking poor tackling, missed tackles, bad angles, offensive line play, atrocious, and all this stuff before it even gets to Joe Milton. And then Austin just says, "Well, hey, I, I hear you, but at the end of the day, you scored 16 points and you lost on the road to your rival." You know, they, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. That's not good enough. And I couldn't agree more. He's exactly right. That's not good enough. Um, so you, you just got to find a way to fix it. You got to find a way to fix it and move on. Uh, Michael wants to know about Danico Slaughter. Why did he not play? Um, was told uh, after the game that he was kind of a game-time decision. We didn't know about that, a game-time decision. Uh, he was in pads. He went through warm-ups. He was there standing beside his coaches. Doesn't look like it's too serious, Brent, but it looks like Danico Slaughter was ruled out after warm-ups with uh, – uh, with a, a foot injury, but some other guys as well. Gerald Mincy, who only played field goal team. Dylan Sampson, Joshua Josephs, those two 
didn't play defensive and offensive snaps. They've been asked a lot uh, over the last 12 hours. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think Dylan Sampson was coach's decision. I mean, I think that they went with Jabari Small and Jalen Wright and that they didn't have a ton of possessions and a ton of snaps. I don't think it's a situation where, you know, Dylan Sampson is in any kind of trouble. I know he's not in any kind of trouble, um, and I don't think he's injured. I think that was, that was you know, Jerry Mack's decision. I think a lot of people, you know, got caught up in the four touchdowns he had in the opener against Virginia Tech or Virginia and thought, man, it's that, you know, he's going to have a huge year. I think right now he's their third team tailback. I mean, it's pretty clear with, with, with the way Jerry Mack has gone about things, but there's no discipline issues or anything like that going on with, with Dylan Sampson. Danico Slaughter is hurt, tried to go, went through treatment all week and uh, just, couldn't push off and do the things that he needed to do. We'll see when he gets back or, or when he doesn't get back. Same, I'm in the same boat with Cooper Mays, right? I, I'm not interested in hearing about expected to be available or anticipate being available. Cooper Mays is not going to be back till I see Cooper Mays w- warm up with the first team quarterback, right? Warm up in 11 on 11 to show that he's, he's going to play. I think it became pretty clear, um, early on in, in the warm-up process on Saturday that he, w- he was never going to play. Uh, the Gerald Mincy thing is bizarre to me, okay? I mean, he obviously, as it's been reported out there, he, he was cited on Thursday night um, and, and um, w- was in a situation where he didn't handle himself, I don't think, particularly well, drew some attention to himself, ended up getting cited. Um, and he, there was a curfew in place. He, he was not – he was out past curfew. Um, Josh Heupel elects to take him to Florida and gets to see all of his buddies in Florida because that's where he played at. Um, and, and then he doesn't suspend him because he played him on extra points and field goals, but he doesn't play him on offense. And and, and Jeremiah Crawford had a tough night. Yeah. I mean, so I, I, don't, I don't understand the rationale of not playing him with the offense if he was – not suspended. If he was suspended, then he shouldn't have played on field goal and extra points because they could have put somebody in there to block for those three plays that he played. So that was a head scratcher to me. Joshua Joseph, again, I think that was probably um, seems like that was more coach's decision than anything else. I'm not aware of anything else going on with him, but that's something we will certainly check on. I'm surprised Joseph didn't play. I'm surprised they didn't put Dylan Sampson out there for a few plays for as much as they were throwing it onto the perimeter, Eric, mm-hmm. to see if they could get him in space. I was a little surprised by that move. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the, the running game, one of the biggest difference in the offense last year uh, in the offense this year that we've seen, running backs active in the passing game. Uh, very few times we've seen them line up in a slot, but they've been motioned out there. Uh, they throw them out there, bubble screens, some flags, some some flat routes. And they go. They saw Dylan Sampson score the first touchdown of the season on that. We saw Jalen Wright. Uh, one, I think it was the first completion for Joe Milton the other day. I mean, we've seen that you know, very active. And the fact that it's been so active, but you know, Dylan Sampson, that's kind of a strength for him. It, it is kind of mind-blowing, kind of confusing as well. So I'm not really sure why they don't put him in there to utilize that a little bit more. Uh, let's go back to Donovan. Donovan's got another super chat. We thank you for that as always. said, I'm glad the media got to see Donovan Thornton in fall camp because he's been like Bigfoot to the fans because we can't find him. At least he did get active a little bit, had um, a couple of receptions. They went to him once in the second half over the middle, didn't get connected, went right back to him, Brent, on third down, and that was good to see. Um, Again, it's been a whole lot of squirrel white, very little Dante Thornton. He got benched in the second half of the Austin P game. He played, I believe, 16 snaps in the Swamp. 
He's an incredible talent. It just hadn't really formulated so far, but he did have a nice uh, reception the second half for Tennessee in the swamp. Well, and Donovan, I'll say this. I mean, Dante Thornton looks pretty. Um, yeah. The routes versus air, which is what we got to see in fall camp. He, he looks really good. Um, I'm surprised he hasn't played more. I'm surprised he hasn't had more of an impact on this team. I, you know, obviously Tennessee hyped him up a great deal. You know, Joey Halsley labeled him a freak and uh, built up a lot of expectations for Dante Thornton. And um, he, he's had a hard time to, to this point. I think you'll see him more. Uh, I think that was big for him to get a catch. But I, I, I referenced this many times. He's a talented, talented guy who put up limited numbers and played limited snaps at Oregon. Um, it's not like they went and got a guy who was a 70 snap or 70 reception a, a year guy who put up a thousand yards or anything like that. He has all the tools in the world. Um, he's athletic. Tennessee hyped the heck out of him all spring and summer long, fall camp long. Uh, at one point, you weren't sure if he was Jerry Rice, Odell Beckham Jr., or a combination <laughs> of all those guys when it was said and done. You know, now can they get him going? Um, I, I think that's the question. For me, with that receiving core right now, and I mentioned this in my 10 things, I feel like it's brew. Um, you know, two years ago when they left Florida, Cedric Tillman um, and, and went to the coaching staff and said, hey, I want to be a bigger part of the offense. The coaching staff said, hey, we've got to get this guy the ball more. Yeah. I kind of feel like that's where they are with Brew right now. Uh, Brew's got enough speed that he can get behind somebody if you make a mistake. He catches contested balls well. He's got a frame to work with. I think he is highly, highly competitive, Eric. I just wonder if they try to force feed Brew a little bit more here to try to get this offense going. I don't know that. That's just my assessment looking at what they did with, with Cedric Tillman two years ago when they were – you know, when Jalen Hyatt was struggling, feels a little bit like Dante Thornton, right? Bayless Jones is kind of the squirrel white type deal. And, you know, we it, it, there's a little – feels like there's some similarities there. I wonder if they maybe force it to brew a, a little bit more than they have the first three weeks. And there's there's a little similarities there with Bayless and brew as well. I, rem I remember talking to Alex Golish, um, you know, uh, I guess it was last year, you know, earlier in the year, and – he was just saying, you know how we used to just throw it out the Bayless and just let him go, kind of like a little pinball. We feel like we can do that with Brew, and that's kind of the role, the role you're seeing with Squirrel right now. But Brew, obviously, he's fast enough, but he's not the fastest. He seeks out contact. He's super physical. So if you throw it out there on the perimeter or a little hitch or a curl or whatever and, and give him some opportunity for some yak um, just to get this offense, just to get him going a little bit, I, I feel like that'd be – uh, something that would benefit Tennessee and Tennessee's offense because I'm with you. I think he's Tennessee's best wide receiver. Um, you know, in the conversations, you know, even with my dad earlier today, he's just like, "Hey, they need to keep, they need to keep just feeding Brew McCoy," and I, I think that's what a lot of fans, uh, you know, feel like as well. Uh, let's go to uh, Ben right here. It's more of a comment. It says I have a hard time wondering what's going on with Joe in this offense when your starting center hasn't played all season. I think there's something to that, Brent. It's not everything. Like having my biggest thing is okay. Tennessee had all these procedural penalties, these false starts, snap infractions, you know, some holding, holding's a little bit different, but you had these procedural penalties on the road. And that's something I wrote about where if you go back and look at Georgia last year, South Carolina last year, and Florida this year, it's something Tennessee's not handled well, especially Georgia and Florida. Florida, it was loud last night. Uh, talking with some of the Florida guys in that open air press box that said it has not been this loud in quite some time. Um, so, so credit the environment there. I'm not sure how much 
Cooper would have made a difference in that regard, but it's not like it would have been worse. He is your starting center. He helps control all of that. At the end of the day, you know, it, it's on your quarterback. That's your responsibility. But how much would it help to have Cooper Mays in there and, and maybe Gerald Mincy playing 50 snaps at right tackle? All's not forgiven. All's not forgotten. But it feels like Tennessee still hasn't had its best foot forward offensively. And we might not know exactly what that is until you get a Cooper Mays back. Well, and you would hope and think that if you had him out there that you would be able to communicate better across the front, you know, to slide any protections and all the things that you have to do there. Um, and, and maybe you could get your tempo going faster than, than, than you got it going. Now, part of that tempo is you, you got to stay on schedule, ahead of schedule with the sticks. It's hard to get tempo going when the whistle blows and they walk it back five yards. You know, I mean, it's just hard. And, and, and those things really um, messed with, with Tennessee uh, last night. I, I think that there was a little bit of, Tennessee got a little bit caught up in a cat and mouse game a couple of times where, where, where Florida would show Tennessee would adjust. Florida would mm-hmm. show something else. Tennessee's trying to adjust with, with 10 seconds on the play clock. You can't do that. Sometimes you just got to go. And, and if they get you, they get you, but you got to go play. And um, I, I just, you know, they're way out of sync. And I think they were way out of sync from play call on the sidelines. And, and Josh Heupel said, Hey, we got to coach better. And I think they've got to they've got to operate better on the sidelines, and they've got to operate better at the line of scrimmage pre-snap than, than what they did last night. And um, obviously, the road thing is something that's going to be talked about until Tennessee plays particularly well on the road in a hostile environment. So um, they'll get their opportunities to do that coming down the pike. But they've got some some opportunities at home where the crowd should be in your favor, and you should be able to manage that pretty simply. But they've got to clean some stuff up for sure. Yeah, got to come home. You got to clean some things up. You're not going to get that opportunity on the road really until the third Saturday in October. And then you're going to, you know, you got that game, then you got Kentucky, and then uh, you'll have some other opportunities. So um, that's something you need to address, but you can't worry about that right You can't worry about that right now. You just got to worry about what you can control back at home against UTSA and then so on and so forth. Hey, let's get Matt Ray on here here in just a second. Uh, let's get his perspective down on the sideline for Tennessee and Florida. That's coming up next right here on the Rocket Top Rewind. But I want to tell you about our friends at Game Time. You shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big event. Game Time, it's a fast and easy, easy way to buy tickets for all your sports, music, comedy, theater, all those events right near you in your backyard. Killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seats, they have the best price guarantee. Game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets for you and your friends. Uh, you got views of the seat. So they're going to show you exactly what you're paying for before you actually purchase that. I think that's huge over at Game Time. Plus, they have the lowest price guarantee. They have cancellation protection, even job loss protection for you. So they truly do have your back throughout this process. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event, even an hour after it starts. It's the place to find the last-minute seats whatsoever. Find exclusive flash and sponsor deals on tickets for football, basketball, some concerts as well, zone deals. You can pick the section, and Game Time picks the seats for an average of 18% savings as well. And with the Game Time guarantee, listen to this, it means you'll always have the best price if you find tickets in the same section or row for less Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. So I encourage you to download the Game Time app today, create an account, use the promo code VOLS, that's V-O-L-S, for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, encourage you to create an account, redeem code VOLS, V-O-L-S, for $20 off 
um, at your purchase. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. That is Game Time, a proud sponsor of the Rocky Top Rewind. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome back to the Rockies Out Rewind. I am Eric Kane with Brent Hubs. We're going to bring on Matt Ray with us now as we recap Tennessee's loss to Florida in the Swamp 29-16. Uh, Matt, you weren't doing sideline reporting, but you were on the sideline shooting some videos, shooting some pictures. Um, it was loud up where we were. How did it sound in terms of field level for Tennessee and Florida? Yeah, it, it was loud, Eric. I mean, when, when you look at it, when they announced the attendance, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I was – up to par on what the attendance was going to be at Ben Hill Griffith Stadium. But um, the attendance uh, announced a little over 90,000, and I was pretty shocked that it was a lot, as loud as it was for, for that 90,000. Um, and it seemed like each procedural penalty that Tennessee got on first down, um, which were a handful, it ramped up a little bit more. So it was a really good environment on Saturday night. Um, you know, if you were a Gators fan, uh, it, it really, really got loud there toward the end of the first half um, and, and what was probably the most crucial time for Tennessee. You needed a chance to go two for one there, and and that was probably the loudest that it was all night. Yeah, I mean, the, the longer the longer that that Tennessee – I mean, Tennessee had a chance to, to get Florida off the field on that second drive and, and really, you know, quieten that crowd if they could have done – you know, driven the football and it made a first down look like the first two drives. The first one was perfect. The second one looked like it was going to go well until you shot yourself in the foot. Um, but the longer that it stayed, you could feel the Florida fans in that first half going, Hey, Hey, you know, cause I don't know that they had a lot of belief, Matt, when they walked into the stadium, but you could feel them gaining um, the belief and, and, and it got louder and you could certainly see it on the Florida sidelines as well. And, um, I mean, the second quarter was just a disaster, just an absolute disaster of epic proportions for Tennessee. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that really sums it up. The, the, the longer it went, the louder it got. And, you know, when when Tennessee came out of the locker room for warm-ups, it, it really seemed like they were locked in, you know, in a lot of different ways. A lot more player-led stuff in pregame. 
Um, guys getting position groups together, really getting after it. A lot of talk of, you know, outsiders, drowned out the outside noise, let's go to work, focus on us, um, was kind of the theme of, of the several that I was able to hear, you know, from Earshot. And they seemed locked in, had a really good pregame, came out, um, you know, blocked that field goal, and then went down the field and scored. And I thought, oh, well, you know, th- this couldn't have, have started any better. And then, you know, it kind of snowballed downhill and got away from them in a hurry. And, and it just – I just keep going back to the end. Um, I, I guess you can say the middle eight. But the, the middle eight, they had a chance to, to flip everything that went wrong um, in the first half, and it just didn't work out. I know we're talking Tennessee and Florida here real quick, but, of course, Matt Ray specializes in recruiting, does a great job for us over at VolQuest.com. I know the weekend is is kind of wrapping up, and you'll get more information, uh, you know, first this week, Monday and Tuesday. But uh, Tennessee commit Boo Carter, he made uh, uh, a re- visit over to Boulder to see the Colorado-Colorado State game, and, and of course, that one was a big one. Um, any inf- information on that trip or just in general, Boo Carter, Tennessee commit, but, you know, showing some, showing some uh, interest in uh, Colorado? Yeah, by all accounts, I think that was a good trip for Boo Carter to Colorado. Um, an unofficial visit. They they were out there, you know, through today, uh, getting back into town later tonight. So, you know, for Boo Carter, I think that was a really good trip. Um, it, it was a really good scene in Boulder, Colorado. A lot of big-time recruits there. And, and he's one of those guys we've talked about it here. He's, he's been the, the guy that – you know, is vocal, is very social, and seems like he just kind of knows everybody. Um, so I'm sure that's kind of how things went for him at Colorado as well. Um, and that's one I think you have to keep watching because they still got an official visit in the back pocket. You know, you got him out there unofficially. College game day's there. It's a great atmosphere. Now you've got an, an official to use later down the line, and, and that's what Colorado was trying to set up for, <clears throat> set up for a lot of guys this weekend. You know, Michael comes in here, and I think we can all three kind of talk about this one. Um, he says, it feels like this team is struggling with leadership and accountability, which seems odd for such an older team. Anytime you lose a game, I think somebody actually mentioned this on the board, and I couldn't agree more. Anytime you lose a game, it's like, oh, they have locker room issues, or, you know, you've lost, you know, there's no culture or anything like that. Um, you know, we asked the the players and Brew McCoy and Joe Milton and Aaron Beasley last night kind of what was said in that locker room after, and it said, hey, we got to stay together. You know, things are tough right now. We got to stay together. Um, I truly don't think we know, you know, what this team's, you know, we we hear that he's a leader, he's a leader, this got great leadership. But, Brent, I think right now we're going to find out because, you know, th- th- this was this was a bad loss. It was a loss to your rival. It was an SEC loss. How you respond from this, I think, is going to be telling about the type of leadership you have in, in that locker room. Well, leadership shows up when you have adversity. Yeah. L- leading when you don't have adversity is easy, right? I mean, that's that's everybody gets along and – I mean, look, you can have the guy who's mad because he's not getting enough balls thrown his way or he's not getting enough snaps, but but that's that's all masked if you're winning football games. Uh, the challenge is how does your leadership when you lose football games? Um, how does it go about? It starts with Joe Milton. How does he lead? Where's his account, accountability level in his play? How does he approach that with his teammates? Um, there's obvious frustrations. Right. That, that, I mean, there has to be obvious frustrations on the offensive line. Um, so how does that how do they handle offensively uh, the leadership from that standpoint? D- 
defensively, I think you got some of the same questions. You know, again, it's Matt, when you lose a game, every scab gets picked, right? Everything's yeah. the play calling's bad. You're not enough talent here. This guy can't play. This that there's no development. This coach is bad. All those things come out. And they're and, and I get it. I'm not saying anybody's wrong for asking those questions or set, making those comments or wondering it aloud. The question's going to be, what does this team look like in a couple of weeks? How much How much do they improve moving forward? And it starts in the locker room. Do they hold together? It's easy to lead and, and, and until times gets tough, and then we'll see how this group really leads. And we'll, that, that'll start to play itself out this week. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, the South Carolina game last year isn't, you know, that far removed in terms of number of games. But it's been a while um, since that team's really been put on – since this team's really been put on the map. Um, and now you've got to pick yourself up and kind of determine how you're going to answer the bell. And I think you summed up, Brent. It's really easy to lead when there's no adversity. But you've got a UTSA team coming to town this weekend that you can get things back right against. And then that South Carolina team that, that puts you on the mat and ended your college football playoff hopes last fall is, is here the next weekend. And you, you can – get pointed in the right direction, but you, you, it starts in the locker room to me. You have to start, you have to start there. And I think Brew McCoy said it best last night. If this loss doesn't light a fire under you, I don't know what will. Yeah. Well, and, 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 look, and I mean, go ahead. Sorry. No, go, no, go. You're good. You're good. No, I think one of the things, Eric, that you look at too is, and this is not no offense to Vanderbilt leadership wasn't paramount last year after the South Carolina game. Yeah. You could go out and beat Vanderbilt. You didn't have to mm-hmm. play well. You didn't have to have your best week of practice, right? You could, I mean, you could line up and run the football. Vanderbilt was done. This is different because this is early in the year. You're playing a lot better teams moving forward here. And there is a ton of football left to play. So the challenge is a little bit different. There was great disappointment last year because of the magnitude of the loss, it was a much more significant loss than last night was. It was easier to bounce back from because you had one game left, and then you had to get ready for a bowl game. Uh, this one's different, so we'll see how this how this thing plays out with this team. Um, you know, but everybody's going to ask that question, right? Because look, I mean, you had you got your right tackle who gets in trouble the night before the Florida game. Okay, has an issue there. You had a you had a players only meeting whatever that means you know on on Sunday last week which which gets everybody's blood boiling that there's locker room problems when that takes place right and remember it was right after a team meeting and yes. the coaches just stepped out i mean it, but but it doesn't it doesn't matter the the, the narrative says you had a yeah. players only meeting what what is your first reaction when you hear players only meeting I mean, for, for the common fan, it's like, oh, no, the sky's falling. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, so you got to show – I mean, a lot of people – look, they're, they're talking about who left the field first at the end yeah. of the game. What does that look like? All of those types of things are on – everybody's on watch for that kind of stuff right now. How does this team respond? Give a couple other Super Chats here. and We really appreciate it, guys. Mike and, and Kevin appreciate the Super Chat. Mike is – you know, talking about Joe Milton football IQ and just kind of having to to grow in that, and I, I think that's you know Joe Milton at least in this offense will will kind of see it week by week, Matt. Um, you know, there's there's some things that Joe Milton does. I mean, I, you know, like Mike saying right here, man, that that play clock it was going down and got down and down. It's like snap the ball, snap the ball, 
and things that he's just got to pick up on and get better week from week to week. Um, you know, he's a guy that's not started a whole lot of games in a long time. You know, really started two games in 2021, started a couple games in 2020, still kind of relatively new as being a starter in this league, even though he's an older guy, he's a six-year guy. Uh, Joe Milton's got to play better. The whole offense has got to play better. And, you know, a week like today or a week like this week in UTSA could maybe be a springboard for that in this Tennessee offense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but last night, man, the play clock, especially there coming coming out in the third quarter, was such an issue for Tennessee. Having to burn those two early timeouts in the third yeah. quarter are just, just killers. I mean, just – just absolute killers down the stretch when, when you have to have those extra drives to try to get back in the football game. Um, you know, a lot of times just trying to reset at the line of scrimmage. And, and that's something I noticed kind of in the first two games, but more so against Austin P seemed like they slowed things down at a couple of different times and wanted to get in the look that they got in. But it, even coming out of one of the timeouts, there, there was one of the timeouts that they came out – before the timeout, they tried to shift into the formation they actually wanted to be in. They came out of the timeout, and it was still it was still slow getting to the point of where they needed to be. So that's something they have to improve on. Um, yeah, you're right, Eric. This UTSA game it can be a springboard. Uh, this is this is a football team that's that's going to come play. They're going to you know throw the ball around on you and try to score some points. But you're going to have a chance to score points on them offensively. They just gave up 39 points to an Army team. You know so. You can you can start riding the ship some this week. You, you just have to do it. Well, and I, I think they've got to communicate better from the sideline too. I, I think, I, you know, part of that's on Joe, no doubt. But it, you can't change the play with nine seconds on the play clock. You know, 12 seconds on the play clock. You don't, you don't have time for – particularly when you're having to verbally communicate in every offensive lineman's ear. You, you yeah. can't – you can't whistle from the sideline to change the play there. You're, you're not yeah. going to have enough time. That operation has to speed up. And you got to quit worrying, as Grant Ramey joins us here. By the way, it just pops in the screen. I like that. you, you got to quit. You can't always be in the perfect play, right, Grant? I mean, it, you, at some point in time, you got to roll. I mean, yeah. you just mentioned that play, Grant, that, or Matt. They call timeout. They get in that bunch formation, real tight formation. They call timeout. They come back in the same deal, and it's the jet sweep to Brew McCoy. You needed a timeout to call that play. I mean, that, I mean, you, you're yeah. trying to be too perfect sometimes. Is what it feels like a little bit, Grant. They're trying to almost help too much with a quarterback in the perfect play. Boys, last night I swear it was like watching a team that it was like the first time a team had ever gone on the road. Like they had no concept of what a hostile environment was going to be like. Like it, it's the busted plays out of timeouts, the, like y'all talking about the play clock running down and they're just kind of sitting there. Uh, the whole drama with the kick football and fourth down and, and running it and just getting blown up in the backfield. I mean, on that play, there's an eight yard cushion on brew and it's fourth and one on the sideline. And if he just stands up and throws it, it's an easy first down because Tennessee, I've seen it happen to Tennessee a million times and it's the most frustrating thing that you can want. I mean, it just felt like everything was so, labored and so hard and it was like they had never been on the road before i don't know that that fourth and one there was just so much going on there that i don't understand we're talking about the play clock running down and having issues with that the ball got kicked the play clock reset it reset it reset so you had all the time in the world he snapped it with maybe 
half the time left. And, and, and like Grant said, you had Bruce standing with an eight yard cushion off, you know, to the, to the side. It's an, an easy pitch and catch for a first down. Um, you know, to me, and I know it's not been a staple of a Josh Hopple offense, but you've got a quarterback that's six foot five, 245 pounds. And get yeah. under center, put yeah. behind him and shove him forward. Right. Cause here's the thing. On yeah. That. That that play, that fourth and one failure, that's the third time yes. in three games that Tennessee has run some semblance of that running play, and it's been a negative yard play. It's not even gotten close to the line of scrimmage. It didn't on the second possession in Nashville against Virginia. It didn't against Austin P, and it didn't last night in, in that game. That short yardage woes has got to be a, a, a real concern there. Grant, you made a point about it feeling like them not being on the road. This probably didn't get talked about enough, and this is a this is probably not very good journalism on my part. Joe Milton had never played on the road before in a hostile environment. Right. He had started three games on the road at Michigan, but it was COVID year, and there was 10,000 people in the stands. That was absolutely – I don't care if he's 26, 16, 66. That's the first time he had been in front of 90,000 people who had no use for him last night. And he had a hard time. And Tennessee, as a result, offensively had a really hard time with it. You guys were talking about, um, you know, Grant was talking about how that was the, the, it was like the first time you saw a team go on the road. You guys should have, I, mean, I was sitting right beside Grant in that press box. I look over and I'm just watching Grant watch the game just because, you know, that's just something I want to do. He's going like this the whole time. What's going on? What's going on? It was so funny. I mean, <laughs> and there was, there was one play I was reading what Brent wrote today about broken plays and, and Joe making a play after something breaks down. And there was one play where he rolled right. I can't remember who he threw it complete to. I think it was the third quarter when they were moving the ball a little bit. And I leaned over to Eric and I said, that's the first play where it, something broke down and Joe went out and made a play. And I'm not trying to pile on Joe. I've told this to whoever I've talked to today about the game last night. Joe's not great right now. He's not playing his best football. This offense isn't efficient as it wants to be or doing the stuff it wants to be with Joe quarterback right now, but he's the least of their problems, or at least he's very far down the list of their problems, in my opinion. I mean, I can have some patience with the offensive line because you don't have Cooper back and you don't know what the best-case scenario looks like with your best five up there, but just the defense not being able to get a stop, the, the poor tackling, the whatever that Kamal had in play was, two-hand touch, I don't even know if he got two hands on him if he would have been down in flag football. But, I mean, just the overall stuff. Like, yeah, Joe's got to be better, but so many different phases of this team got to be better. He, he would not yeah. have been flag football because you got to pull, you got to reach out with a hand to pull something. You can't pull a can't flag just bump. shoulder bump. Go ahead, Matt. Sorry. No, I mean, I that that play right there is maybe the most overlooked play of the whole thing to me. You know, well, where, he got where Florida was going. It? He got it got Florida going. run, yeah. Yeah, if you if you at least hit him enough and try to wrap up, he probably gets tackled from behind. You know, you slow the momentum down enough. Then what happens? You know, and that's a big what if. You know, but in sixty-two yards, that place was rocking even after the missed extra point. Yeah, we had. A- I mean, it's what we it's what we talked about all week. You got to have a quick start. They had a pretty good start. They didn't have yeah. a sustained quick start. And what I think I'm learning about this team the last couple of years. They're the most productive offense in college football last year. They're, you know, they're going to score points, but it feels like it's really hard for them to chase points. If they don't get that fast start that they're used to with Hinton Hooker and scoring 14, 21 points, whatever, pretty early in the game, it feels like it gets really hard for them to chase points because they have quick three and outs and the, uh, the opposing offense gets on the field and 
and gets back to work. And now it's a little bit compounded with the running clock. And if, if they can't stop the run, if they can't get off the field on third down, it's easy for another team to take eight minutes off the clock uh, just going down on a scoring drive. Well, and it adds so much pressure. It adds so much pressure. Right. The difference is when Tennessee starts fast, they dictate all the pressure, Eric. Look yes. at here. Billy Napier's going for it on fourth down because he's like, I can't keep up. I can't keep up. No. The reverse is happening right now. When you get the ball, when Tennessee gets the ball, and you feel like they have to score right here. They have to score right here. You can't waste another possession. You don't know how many you're going to get, that type of thing. It's a very different type of pressure um, than what we, you know, it's the reverse. It's 180-degree opposite of, of what Tennessee was doing to people last year. I think Tennessee's got to be – they got to be willing to make – they got to figure out a way to make some plays when it's not perfect. They've got to have a little basketball mentality about them, Eric, that, that hey, it's it's not drawn up the way it's supposed to be. Who's going to go make the play? Hendon Hooker did so much of that for Tennessee last year. They've got to find a way to be able to make some plays when it's not the pitcher perfect. This is how it looked in practice, and it automatically looks this way in the game offensively. Defensively, to me, guys, and I'll let everybody comment on this, they better figure out a way to, to, to see the ball and not let the eye candy motions and shifts and all that bother them. Because I'm going to tell you right now, everybody they play who has gotten – who's got some talent is going to really tax Tennessee's middle mid-level defense. That's got to get cleaned up in a hurry. I know they're playing young linebackers. It's exactly what South Carolina did to them a year ago. Florida followed that script really well last night, and it really caused Tennessee problems. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and again, you're playing young linebackers. You're playing some young guys. But even you're playing veterans in the back end. And these guys, I get it. It's a football game. You're tired. You're playing a whole lot of snaps. But I mean, they, they were slow to move too. I mean, they were getting over there late, and they'd motion. Then you see a cornerback that's you know playing man – and, and and kind of trailing them, but but you know taking a while to get over there. I mean, you got to go. Um, and then as far as you know going and making a play, I completely agree, man. Hendon Hooker, to your point, was so good at that last year. And kind of what is that, right? The easiest one is to a quarterback. It's like oh, when things break down, just take off and go. And we saw Hendon Hooker do that. You know that Joe can do that, not like Hendon could, but Joe can do that a little bit. Could it be if you got a if you have a tight end or a running back standing in the block for you, things things break down. He just turns around and says, yo, give me the ball right here. Let's go. Uh, let, let me be your safety right here, and let's go make a play. I, I don't know. Um, let's raise but, it up and throw it to Brew McCoy on fourth and one. Yeah. Let's just make it a backyard right. football play. Right, Grant? I mean, that's right. That, that's where they've got they got to recognize and go, hey, this this okay to do this. Let, let's go. It doesn't have to be exactly perfect there. But to your point, Grant, defensively, what what's going to be – what can they get fixed there? Because this was supposed to be the group that that took a step and helped an offense that wasn't going to be as productive as last year. And man, that they they got it handed to them in the first half last night. I mean, they're going to, have to get home uh, up front. Me and Eric were talking about this in the in the podcast game day podcast. Like these linebackers are going to be better down the road for this situation because they're forced into playing time. Aaron Carter and Elijah Herring, those guys. But right now, it's going to be a struggle. So your defensive backs better step up uh, and your defensive line better step up because you're relying on two young guys that you probably wouldn't be relying on if Ken Peely's healthy. Uh, you'd have Peely and Aaron Beasley out back there playing 66 snaps or whatever it is at Florida. Uh, so they're going to have to grow up in a hurry, but they're going to have to get a lot of help. Last night, they didn't get any help. Uh, that, that's just what it is. It's They're in a bad spot. They're in a tough spot. But there's got to be some people step up, and they just haven't had that. 
Branch, you got Mike uh, asking us right here, um, you know, how important is Keenan Peely to this defense? Very important and everything. Um, you also have Aaron Beasley. I mean, he's calling the defense right now when he's out there, but he was not out there, I want to think, for 10 of those defensive snaps. And you had Aaron Carter, you had Elijah Herring, and that's a situation, as Grant just pointed out, hey, you got to grow up. I, I would imagine Elijah Herring's out there calling the defense when, when Beasley's not at this point in time. But you're going to be better for it in the future. But right now, it's it's it, grow up or, or, you know, get – you know, move out of the way because no one's going to feel sorry for you. No one's going to wait around for you. It's just, it's, it's just go time. Yeah. Well, and listen, I mean, they brought Keenan Peely here for a reason, right, Matt? No. I mean, it was, it yeah. was to come in and provide some stability to that group. We don't know exactly how Keenan Peely would have played if he'd stayed healthy. We heard all the rave reviews about him in, in August and how well he played, but, he, but he had experience. And, and right now there was a lot of things that was probably going a million miles an hour for Elijah Herring last night. Florida got him out of out of sorts early with those jet sweeps and got his eyes going in a million different directions. And, and Tennessee's linebackers had a hard time finding the football and reacting because I think they chased chased some ghosts with all those motions and shifts. And everybody isn't everybody going to do that until you 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 show that you can handle that. I mean, I think it, I think they they will. I yeah, will. I, I mean, why would you not? Austin P had success with it, and then Florida turned right around and capitalized on it. Um, you know, I, and I think with Elijah Heron and Arion Carter, you know, whether they took a misstep or their eyes just made the misstep for them in pre-snap, there was a lot of misfits from my vantage point last night with those guys that just just caused enough for Florida to have a sustained run game that allowed Graham Mertz in turn to be successful in the play-action passing game. Uh, and, and, Eric, I'll go back to a point you made just a little bit ago. It just seemed like on that outside zone that, that Florida kept going to with Trevor Etienne, it was like you were waiting for somebody to run that alley and, and make a play or somebody to come. And it was it was never there. It was three, four yards. And then you're talking about a back that once he's downhill, those three or four yards compound to five or six. You know, and I, I thought that was really one of the one of the tougher points in the game, I felt like in the passing game, I, I thought Tennessee, you know, was able to get a rush at times and, and probably didn't get the benefit of some holds that, that should have been called. I thought James Pierce, I thought James Pierce battled a few holds that, that he would have probably got home on had it not, you know, happened. And if those would have been called, you know, maybe Florida has some different outcomes. I thought Roman Pierce, uh, Roman Harrison, um, got held on a play where Graham Mertz was able to step up in the pocket and and fade away and make a really nice throw out of it. But Tyler Barron know, got held really bad on, I believe it was the ETN run. I might be mistaken, but he got held a couple times as well. You know, so, I mean, that that went into it, but that can't be everything. You know, the, def- the defensive line, you know, that they, they weren't right in their fits either. Um, you know, but overall, I think, like you said, Brent, a, a million miles a minute in terms of what those young guys were seeing with their eyes. And and back to Mike's question, I, I don't know that Peely's that important in terms of calling the defense, but I think he's that important to having some experience behind, you know, or beside Aaron Beasley to uh, allow them to do what they need to do um, in that mid-level. That's why you love that room coming into the year, right? I mean, you had a guy that's 25 years old. He's been in college forever. He's played so much football. Um, he knows those fits. He he knows the speed of the game, even though he's coming up with the SEC. He's been there, done that. And, of course, you have Aaron Beasley as well. And he kind of allowed those young guys to, to see some playing time, yep. get some PT here and all that. But allow those young guys to grow. And, of course, with the injury, 
you're not allowing those guys to grow. It's just, hey, you got to throw it in the fire right now. But that's football. Again, that's that's life in the SEC. Nobody's going to feel sorry for you. Going to get a couple more real quick, and then we got to call, call it quits here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Uh, VFL Willie, is Samson Hurt? No, nah, we mentioned it earlier in the show. Just seems like they went with Jabari Small behind uh, Jalen Wright, who's who's RB one right now, and I felt like they uh, they liked Small better in the in the swamp last night, and that's kind of the way they went. Uh, Timothy here says need a two hundred thirty five pound running back that'll truck somebody like they do in rugby. Um, to his point, though, last year you found a solution, Brent, and we're through three games right now. We didn't see. Correct me if I'm wrong. We didn't see Princeton fan until the Alabama game, offset I. And then after that, it was like it was a normal thing. Maybe something transpires as the year goes on, but right now you're struggling on fourth and inches, fourth and one, like you were in 2021. Grant, you know a lot more football than I know. You're you're a you were a all state legend in Upper East Tennessee. I want you to explain to me, and this is not a Tennessee thing. This is a college football thing. Explain to me the advantage of taking the ball five yards behind the line of scrimmage in the shotgun, handing it to a guy who doesn't have a running start and asking him to gain a yard um, as opposed to doing the Jalen Hurts thing and putting big beef behind him and shoving him forward for six inches. I I don't – somebody explain that to me. Grant, I I want you to go ahead. I was thinking while you were talking, they need the Jalen Hurts play, literally. The Jalen Hurts play, put whoever you need to put behind him and push the guy across the line of scrimmage. I don't – a 235-pound running back is not what they need. Jalen Wright runs like he's a 235-pound running back. You saw him pushing the pile like crazy in the third quarter. I don't think Jalen Wright was set up to succeed a whole lot last night, especially in the second quarter. It felt like they forgot he was on the team. Uh, Just kind of the way they were scheming it up, it felt like they were setting up to fail there when they were – chasing those points so I think he runs hard enough and I think he's a guy that wants to get between the tackles and and push piles like he did I think they're fine there I think they like Brent said they just gotta be smarter you gotta be able to take a snap and get a yard going forward especially when you got a 200 and whatever 35 pound uh, quarterback you don't need the running back because your quarterback's 235 get there and push him across the line of scrimmage that's it Tennessee UTSA Neyland Stadium four o'clock this Saturday Tennessee's going to try to get back on track and then it will be back in the Southeastern Conference play. A uh, big one. It's been circled on everybody's calendars. South Carolina comes to town. You have the off week. You have A&M, Alabama, Kentucky. And then it just goes on from there. Tennessee falls in the swamp 29-16. to Continual plenty of reaction. Uh, got, a, got a lot of our day after pieces from Brent Hubbs. Ten things he thinks he learned. I have my big three. We've got a bunch of uh, Tennessee, what they said. All that from the Tennessee-Florida game. And then we'll look forward to Tennessee and UTSA. Josh Heupel meeting at the podium to begin that new week of uh, of football with his Monday press conference tomorrow at noon. Appreciate you guys for joining us here on the Rocky Top Rewind. I'm Eric Kane, Brent Hubbs, Matt Ray, and Grant Ramey. A big shout out and thank you to Spivey King and Spivey LLP for making this coverage possible. If you got a problem, let them find a solution for you. TN Trial Lawyers, a free consultation at 423-245-4185 or Spivey King and Spivey LLP.com. Every Sunday night, 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern Time, we'll recap the Tennessee football game right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Hey 
guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.